Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the, the latest edition of the Blood Red Bottom Line podcast with the Liverpool Echo with me, Dave Powell. Joining me today is a very special guest, uh, someone I've been keen to get on for a good while now. It's George Pine. Uh, he's a titan of US sports investment, uh, co-founded Brewing Capital in 2015, a sports investment firm previously, uh, president of sports media entertainment at IMG, uh, board member also, former chief operating officer at NASCAR. Uh, and you've been involved heavily in the sports industry and you've seen many changes in in the, the, the past few years, George. I mean, just explain a little bit uh, about, about what you are, what Brewing Capital Capital do and, and, and kind of how you fit into the space. Because you're not, the, I suppose, the traditional um, sports investment type firm in terms of investing in teams. It's more around the verticals that go around that. Yeah, thank you, Dave. It's great to be here and, and thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, so Bruin is really a global investment company. Um, our portfolio company, we own seven companies and they, uh, they are, we have people on the ground in 16 countries and we do business in 50 and we probably work with most major federations, you know, in the world. And, you know, we come at it a little differently in that we don't invest in teams and, and clubs. Uh, we invest in the business ecosystem around sports. And so then, and with more of a technology focus, so virtual signage, uh, webs, apps, OTT, tech stacks, data, um, things of that nature. Uh, why? Because we see growth in those areas that are exciting and that you can get good returns on. So uh, it's been, been been at it for about 30 years and uh, really enjoyed myself and, uh, you know, came from a family of athletes. So I'm a little different in that, you know, I, I come from the industry. I come from the pitch. Uh, you know, I'm up from a family of American football players and uh, sports has always been a big part of my life. And I've been able to make a living uh, doing something I love in an industry I love. I mean, the, the, the changes, I mean, we, I was in New York last year and I heard you, you speak at Sportico and, and, and even then it was, a, it was a really interesting conference because so much has changed in the, in the sphere certainly in terms of football, especially, um, so much, so much influx of, of U.S. capital into the English Premier League, and not just the English Premier League, Europe as a whole, um, likes of Redbird, uh, Clear Lake Capital have, have come in, etc. Um, team valuations. I mean, a lot of these things. It's uh, predicated on um, on success historically, but team valuations now continue to to rise. I mean, I, I know Jerry Cardinal said it's kind of anti-Darwinian that in terms of it can it, things can't always uh, be in the cycle of, of 
going up forever. Um, how do you view team valuations? Because at, at present, uh, the view certainly from the likes of Adadik Bali when he spoke at the conference last year was very much a um, there's a gap in between where where the EPL is now, where North American sports is, obviously because the the top ten, I suppose, are, in terms of the, the most valuable sporting teams on the planet, are, are dominated by the NFL, NBA, uh, and MLB. So, um, did you see that there is that 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 opportunity for, for Premier League sides to the biggest Premier League sides to bridge that that gap in terms of value? You know, I mean, look, the Premier League is an iconic league. You know, you could argue the most popular league in the world. Um, and so those franchises, the, the top franchises in the Premier League, you know, hold their own in terms of, of, of valuation. Um, what, what I think in comparison to some of the American franchises, uh, there are some distinct differences that put the Premier League at a little bit of a disadvantage when you're comparing it to, to America. Uh, one, the, the, the media deals in the Premier League by law are shorter. And so the U.S. is able to lock into eight, 10-year deals that, that give more certainty, that kind of underpin the valuation. I think the relegation that makes is a great part of the Premier League, but that also impacts the valuation depth of the number of teams that are valued. And, the, and then just the size of the American market uh, provides uh, you know, a little more heft and some of the valuations. But, you know, look, uh, Manchester United, other, other clubs are, are hot, Chelsea, highly valuable and on their own uh, right uh, stand up with any any club or franchise in the world. And quite frankly, as you know, the Premier League is consumed on a far greater basis around the world than uh, than, the, than any of the American uh, sports. But the American market is so big and vibrant from a media side that I think that kind of props up those, those valuations a bit. Is there an element of, of trying to bring the learnings from um, what what team ownerships experienced in North American sport and try and uh, bring those in, into the Premier League to find new ways of of monetizing? Because at, at the moment, at the moment, we are the kind of the Premier League historically for a long time now has been capped at three year cycles for for media rights deal. That's going to extend to four uh, the next cycle. Uh, a, a short, a kind of a a small uh, a small increase, but an increase nonetheless. Um, where do you see uh, investors in terms of those who look to buy kind of majority positions in teams? Where do they see how they can affect kind of positive, positive change? Because that will be ultimately what it's about. It's not just a case of riding the wave. It's about how you can try and bring what, what works in the US um, and, and make it work in, in, in European football and, and the Premier League, I suppose. Well, first, I have to take up for Europe because most of my businesses are headquartered in Europe and most of my <laughs> business is in Europe. So what I'm going to tell you is there's great European uh, companies that can that can come uh, to America, and that's really what Bruin does. I think what is attractive about the Premier League and also other the other major football leagues in Europe from an American standpoint is that unlike America, as a team owner, I'm really riding along with the league because everything's so centralized. And so my impact is really on the pitch or on the field. In the way that the Premier League and international football is organized, uh, team ownership actually can make a bigger difference. You can you can make a bigger difference in the value, in the revenue stream, and in the performance of the club uh, than you can in the American leagues. And so I think that's why American investors find uh, the Premier League so interesting. And 
because you have a set of rights that are really on you uh, and on your management, where in the U.S. it's a little more on the league as well as the uh, as the club. So I, I think the, the decentralized nature of the, of the revenue rights make the Premier League uh, more interesting for investors because the investor believes I can do more with that than I can somewhere else. And I haven't met a lot of investors that don't have a lot of confidence. So that this confidence you see in, in some of those investments. And let's let's be honest, those investments have paid off. I mean, the investment of the Fenway Sports Group in Liverpool is a is a home run investment and, and, and other investments like that. So they've had you've seen people have uh, success. It's interesting you, you mentioned Fenway Sports Group there because the next five years, um, it's very hard to predict where we go with with sport. Uh, I imagine for the next five, ten years, a lot of things are going to carry on going on. Um, but where do you, how do you see sports investment playing out in the next five years or so? Because uh, uh, the the need for capital for some for some teams is different. The need for Chelsea to to raise money um, for infrastructure development of Stamford Bridge is different than what FSG are looking for in terms of a minority partner, maybe to. To, to bring new facets into the business and help grow that globally. Um, how do you see the, ne- the next five years panning out? Where do you see, uh, and, and how might, might the likes of Brewing Capital factor into that? Yeah, you know, I mean, when I started Brewing eight or nine years ago, the, you know, sports as an asset class was certainly not as developed as, as it is today. And, and I just see more and more and more people uh, as investors coming into the sport. And I, and I think that's not going to change. And why, I think if you go back 30 years and you look at team or club valuations, they've grown at, you know, double-digit Kager. Uh, and so it's, it's, there's very few things that grow the way the sports has grown over 30 years. And, you know, sports is pretty solid, too. And it's more recession-proof. You know, people are still going to go watch their club on television. They're still going to go to the match. And so it's, it's people have realized, hey, this is a really good investment class. So I think you're going to continue to see more and more investors. I think you're going to see more and more uh, sophistication in terms of the lending and the structured equity. I just think you're going to see more and more. Why? Because there are very few asset classes that is re- are as reliable and durable as sport. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you think? I mean, I've heard it just described previously as um, some of the biggest clubs maybe pursuing the the avenue of almost becoming mini Disney's, you know, becoming the rights holder and having a lot of kind of verticals within that. I mean, do you think that's something which um, 
which is is workable um, more so, I suppose, in European football potentially than than um, than maybe in some North American sports franchises. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think when you look at some of these brands, I mean, they're they're, they're brands, and so what are the logical extensions of these brands? Um, you know, when you think about real estate and other elements, or media, and look at frac, media is going to continue to fragment, and so these incredibly attractive brands that people engage with are going to become more and more valuable in the media space. And they're going to be developing one-to-one relationships with consumers and fans. So I think, I think I, I would agree that there, there is opportunity to expand the offering as we go forward. The, you, you touched on just before around um, the resilience, I suppose, of, of, of sport around uh, it's a bit more recession proof. Um, I suppose a lot of that was born out through COVID as well. I mean, it was, uh, you know, a huge, you know, shock to, to the world. And then obviously the sporting system, would fans ever come back? Would the interest be as it was? Um, would would the media rights deals hold up in the next cycles, etc.? And, and I suppose now as we're coming out of that, um, though the, the proof is in the pudding, I suppose, in terms of it's, been, it's shown itself to be enormously resilient at a time when you've seen uh, some of the industries that used to pay good money to sponsor, um, you know, to pay good money to, to partner with sports teams have, have suffered. Sport has still managed a way to survive and thrive. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the last things. Like, if you're if you're if you're a fan, you know, that's one of the last things you're going to give up in a bad economy, right? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, but gosh, I'm gonna go watch my favorite club play, and that makes sense, right? And and then you know, and the, what's so special about the Premier League and is that when you're a fan of a club, it's an expression of who you are, what you stand for, what your community means. And those are things that people aren't going to, that built up over generations. That's not going to go away. And, and that's hard to beat, you know. And I think as you look at media continue to fragment, people uh, cutting cords and going direct, there's still going to be, the clubs are going to be very powerful in that way. And they're going to open up all new ways to communicate and for fans to experience, you know, something they're passionate about. And that's different than anything else, right? I mean, everything else is a fad, even a great TV show, or it, 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 you know, it's going to last if it's good five, six, seven, eight years. Right. But it's not going to last 25 years. Although I guess there's a few that might have, uh, you know, some of those other shows, but, but unlikely to have that kind of passion that sport has. And that's what makes sports so special. And look, you never know what the outcome is. You have winners, you have losers, you have good guys, you have villains. You got, I mean, you, you got it all. And, and every time in sport, when you think you've seen it all, you haven't seen it all. And that's what makes it special. Be remiss of me on, on a on a podcast which is largely focused on on Liverpool, just to, not to, to get your view on what the last 13 years of FSG ownership at Liverpool's looked like, because ultimately when they came in, it wasn't uh, the the market for U.S. investment in the Premier League wasn't as uh, maybe as bountiful as it is now. Um, it was a bit more fragmented, but uh, they, they came in. It's, it's been run as a sustainable business, almost going against the grain of what has um, seen some teams propel themselves to, to the fore in terms of the Premier League. Uh, it, it's, it's quite been, in terms of value growth, it's been quite a remarkable investment. Yeah, no, look, it's been that they were kind of ahead of, their, ahead of the time. Um, they've also done a good job with the club, right? I mean, they've had, had success on the pitch. Um, and, and look, they know what they're doing. They, 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 when you look at Fenway Sports Group in America, I mean, the, I don't think the Red Sox, until they, they owned the Red Sox, had won a championship until 1918. 
Uh, I'm a, I grew up in Boston, so the Red Sox didn't, their socks weren't even red. So, you know, they did a great job with that franchise and they've done a great job mm-hmm. with Liverpool on and off the pitch. And so, you know, um, I think they're, they're kind of a, a standard of, in terms of an ownership group. Now they own an NHL team um, and, uh, and they have other investments. I think they've done quite well. When uh, I heard you speak recently, um, I think it was CNN around um, Saudi Arabia, because obviously there's been a, a huge uh, impact from from Saudi, uh, not not when before the, the the Saudi Pro League, which which was hugely impactful for the transfer window in Europe, um, as obviously the PIF invested in for the the biggest teams there in, in an attempt to, um, to to raise the league and, and the profile of the league. Uh, spending ahead ahead of revenue, I suppose, and then we, obviously we've had golf uh, with the Live Golf mer- kind of merging with the PGA. We've had tennis. Um, paddle is another. I mean, that's a huge a sport which is is booming, uh, and, and Saudi Arabia has made serious investments in that too. How do you view um, the approach of Saudi at the moment? Because it's, I suppose, it's threatens to obviously threatens the right word, but it, it it's going to cause some. Fracturing, I suppose, of, of certain things which maybe were traditional in the sporting sense, in, in terms of how they invest. Well, I think you know, if you take a, a, you have two issues with Saudi Arabia. One are kind of social and political, and I'm not really that's I'm not qualified to talk about those. But but in terms of of an investor, they're disruptive, right? And and they're investing in the business. So I think someone who's a disruptive an investor is probably good because change, you know, in life, you know, in America, they say, you know, you're going to die and pay taxes. And that's the only thing that you know, that's going to happen. And so change is inevitable. And so I think somebody who is investing in the, in a business and investing to grow a business is probably a good thing. Um, and I hope that, um, that they, the results are good. So the one thing you want to make sure is that it's sustained that this isn't something that's a, like a three to five year passing that, Hey, listen, we believe sports can impact our region, our economy, and we believe it's a game changer for us and we're going to get behind it. In the end, I, I have to believe it's probably a good thing. Um, it probably makes some people feel uncomfortable, but feeling uncomfortable is also a good thing too. So I, I'm hopeful that it's a, a, a good development. Time will tell whether it's a good development. I think, the judgment will be one to the, uh, you know, do they execute, right? And are they are they able to execute on the vision that they're laying out? And if they are able to execute, it's probably a good thing. If they don't execute, it's probably not a good thing. It's a pat and it's a passing fancy. So you know, look, they're plunking down a lot of money. That's great, but they got to execute. And if they execute, it's probably going to be good. If they don't execute, it won't be so good in my view. And change is often met with some some resistance at start, isn't it? It's, um, that that's usually. I mean, that's if you go back through the years. That that's kind of a common theme. And um, looking at some of the, the other investments they've done, Newcastle United. I think people were expecting that to simply be throwing money uh, at the transfer window and, and and changing things very quickly. But in reality, it's the, the approach. If anything's been been quite cautious, it's been, uh, and that maybe that that points to. Um, how they may well approach the other investments. So these, you know, this this may not just be a, a run to see who gets to the finish line first. It's a case of fathoming them out and finding out the the nuances of, of all these sports and how they work and the best way to achieve success over a longer period of time. Yeah, you know, I've been at this for thirty years and I've seen a lot of wealthy people 
come in and out of sport. And and no matter how much money you have, after a while, if you start losing a lot of money, most people don't like it. And so that's where I say that, you know, it's important for the sports industry, you know, that they're successful and they do it responsibly because that means that that capital source will be there over a long a long period of time. So again, to me, this whole thing comes down to execution. Can they execute? And as you point out in the Newcastle scenario, that, that that they're probably approaching it responsibly, responsibly and thoughtfully, and that's a good thing, right? So you want them to have a good experience, and you want the fans and the clubs um, uh, to have a good experience as well. The looking ahead to twenty twenty six is. A huge um, from, from when I came. When I first I've been to the states several times, but the um, first time I, I came in two thousand and um, six, seven, I think it was. Um, football soccer didn't really register on the uh, on on the scale, I suppose, of anywhere near as it does now. Um, past year, I've been out a few times, and it's a real kind of step change. I mean, the MLS, obviously, the addition of Lionel Messi helps in terms of global profile, etc. But everything around the league, also the interest in terms of uh, European football, that seems to have heightened. And it all, all seems to be coming to a crescendo in terms of 2026, uh, all arriving at the right time in this kind of market, which all the European clubs wanted to try and tap into for so long, um, now appears to be um, far more fertile and more and more clubs put more and more effort in terms of trying to put down roots and, and attract new audiences um, in the U.S. I mean, is that something you see you see playing out? Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is with the FIFA club championships coming in 2025 and the World Cup coming in 2026. It's going to energize, you know, soccer or football here in, in America. I mean, I, I'm sad to say I, I'm old enough to remember when the World Cup came in the 1990s, and it really did energize soccer here uh, to a new level. Of course, it was at a, a very low level at, at, at the time. Now in America, you'll have clubs in Atlanta and, and, and different markets that are really drawing big crowds. And of course, Messi has, has been a phenom over here. And, and I think generally uh, viewed so positively, which has given further further momentum. So I, I, and I think, you know, just in time, I was in Europe about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, people are starting to sense that the U.S. market, you know, could be vibrant uh, in the MLS uh, and also women's uh, soccer as, as women's football as well. So I think the U.S. has potential because of the market, because of the changing demographics of, of America. I think all those things uh, portend well for soccer or football, however you want to call it, here in, in, in the U.S. And then, you know, look, these other, the Premier League, television ratings here in the u.s are fantastic uh and so the premier league and other european uh, leagues or federations have opportunities here in the u.s all of them all the different federations and some of the clubs opened up offices but i think in order for it to go to a next level uh, they're going to have to which as you know uh, politically is difficult to do play regular season matches in the u.s and i think that holds back the kind of when you look at the U.S. sports go to America, I mean, I, I'm an American football player. I cannot believe the success the American football has had in London over time, and I think American football is going to be very successful in Germany. But they're playing regular season games there, and so I think in order for the Premier League to take a little bit of growth, it would be great if they could play some regular season games over here, which, as you know, is 
very politically different in the world of, of, of football. But that holds it back a bit, but because Americans want the best, right? And the best league and the, uh, the best football league in the world is the Premier League. So you 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 would want to see that uh, here, or you'd love to see the Champions League, not, not an exhibition match, but the real matches. But that that withstanding, I think you know you're going to see in America to become a very vibrant football market. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's probably borne out by the fact that my, my daughter's um, first request for a birthday is uh, an into Miami strip with Lionel Messi on the back. I'm not too sure whether I, was, um, I would have expected a 18 months ago to be asking for um for an into Miami kit or anything like that but it, it's the it's the nature of um the pull of Messi has been really quite profound um you touch on there about regular season games that's something which it's kind of been kicked out uh, kicked around um for the past 10 12 years maybe in the UK there's obviously a lot of opposition to that um we appear now to be moving towards a point where uh some common ground might be to try and reduce the pressure of the domestic calendar we have over here, which has a lot of cup competitions uh, and maybe find this extra game in the season whereby a game can be played overseas. Because there's, from speaking to, to guys at Liverpool, certainly the US market is, has been uh, incredibly valuable, not only in terms of pulling in a new fan base, but also when it comes to merchandising and, and all those other facet to the business so the LeBron James connection for Liverpool and Nike and, um, is impactful because it transformed them into a lifestyle brand and then it opens it up to a whole new audience as well so certainly for for, for Premier League clubs there's a reason why they they, they kind of tour uh, during pre-season in, in the US or Singapore or, or Thailand etc it's to, to reach these audiences I mean this in terms of the, these things that like lifestyle brands I mean so, it, it's very much a kind of a from the from the FSG playbook, I suppose, in terms of finding ways to you know from what they know certainly what works in in Boston with the Red Sox, etc. How to make that work with Liverpool and the US and, and make them uh, a brand because so, like the Yankees is in, in you know across the globe. I think that 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 would be the aim for any any sports team. I think to have that kind of um, if, you know, recognition uh, which, which arrives with, with you know just by the trademark logo. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool is a global brand, right? And uh, and it's something that even if you're not a real football fan, something cool about it, something pulls at your heartstrings. What pulls at your heartstrings is is the passion of the fans to the club, right? And so I think Liverpool is one of those brands that has a real, real global 
uh, it's recognizable global, but has really global prospects to do even more. And you know, one other thing I would just say that you know, messy situation here in America appears to be so successful and so well received. I think it's a good example for some football player football players that are at the end of their career that we might find America as an attractive place to go versus other markets. I mean, the, the potential that Lionel Messi is going to have in America for the rest of his life is enormous, right? And then when he's not playing, he's going to be extremely well-received here. And, and by the way, the same thing happened to David Beckham. I mean, I think Americans love David Beckham. He's got a positive view. So I think that model of, hey, as I get to the end of my career, where can I go and play? I, I think that's an interesting thing for other great players to think about uh, until the MLS can really step up the um, the compensation for the players and compete, right? They they just can't compete with those other other leagues at the moment. But it is a good place, I think, to end your career if you're a great a great player. So, are you are you fairly bullish about the the prospects for? For sports continue certainly for European football's continued growth in, in the US moving forward. Obviously, the having heard Don Garber speak um, uh, a few times, it's there's a heavy focus on on making sure that domestic product in the US is is, is continuing to raise up and not just focus um, efforts and attention on on kind of making the you know the the offerings from the UK or wherever else or Spain kind of even greater over in the US, but. Do you, do you think there's still a lot more road to travel down that? Because for the first time in in kind of broadcast history in the UK, the um, the, the international rights outweighed those of, of the domestic rights for the Premier League, and that was, you know, I think the US market made up about two billion of that um, five billion overseas market, and that's that was for a, a period which was negotiated just coming out of COVID, where there was still some uncertainty existing. Um, previously around how strong would interest be in terms of fans. So the, I suppose the, the the assumption would be that that would only grow moving forward. I mean, you, you're quite bullish around the the, the chances for you know, of, of the sports growth in the US continuing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the, the challenge is, the only challenge in the US market is just the, uh, the cord cutting and the change of, um, you know, the cable bundle really provided... Uh, real economic lift for the, the, the clubs and the teams and, and what, what impact that might have on the short run. But in the long run, uh, there's nothing like sport, right? And uh, and there's a scarcity of asset and people love it. So I think long-term sport will be fine. Then navigating the channel change here from going direct to consumer. For the, you know, right now it goes B to B to C and it's going to go B to C. Navigating that change could be a little bumpy, but in the end, I think, uh, sport will do well because it's still going to be the only thing that gets big audiences and big passionate audiences, which are going to be harder and harder to find. And sport's going to be very valuable in that world. Is there ever the temptation for yourself to move into to team ownership or you very much staying in your lane? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to be involved with the team, but just because again, I, I'm, I'm four generations of athletic uh, participants. You know, my dad, my sons as well, aren't they? It's uh... So we, yeah. we love sports. It'd be kind of fun on a personal level. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, I am what I am, and I'm probably going to have to uh, stick to uh, stick to building uh, sports businesses, which which is good, and, and I'm having a good time with that. And, and I'll tell you, it's been a real joy for me. You know, we have people all around the world, and uh, it's kind of fun to, to, 
to work in different cultures and different places. I, I did a Zoom last night. I had, I had guys in Australia, I had guys in London, I, I, you know, I had guys in New York, and it, it's just yeah, it's fun and, 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 and interesting and keeps me going. There's few things more exciting than the space of sport, as it? it's uh, it's ever changing. Um, involves passion, uh, heartache, joy, everything that that, that makes uh, makes the perfect tale. But um, thanks so much, George, for, for joining me uh, today. Really insightful, and like I say, it's been a been really really great to have a chat to you, having heard you speak several times and the insights you provide. So um, yeah, best of luck for the endeavours for uh, the remainder of the year and moving forward. Uh, and thank you very much, everyone, for joining me today on the Blood. Uh, Blood Red Bottom Run podcast. That's me, Dave Powell, George by, uh, joined by George Pine. Hopefully, see you again soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.